The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. And now, insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. It's a common expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. However, what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools? This is the exact case with the GEICO app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app and behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the GEICO app, look it in the mouth, get amazing services. Thank you. everybody to 2017 welcome to the lakers legacy podcast new team no wait new year new team ultra light beam same dream new meme (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what the phrases are i just know they start with new year and then you're supposed to do something new blank 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 unfortunately for the lakers it's New year, same team, same problems that plague the team, unfortunately, as we witnessed last night against the Toronto Raptors at Staples Center, where the Lakers lost 123-114. to It was a really good game. We were actually at the game. Tommy, Allen, and I were at the game, and so was our whole, pretty much our whole Facebook message group that talks about the Lakers and everything. And it was actually a fun game, and we'll get to that in a bit, but... With that being said, Alan, Happy New Year. Happy New Year too, you too, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I wanted to say? I wanted to say Trill, and then I was like, no, I'm not. And then I didn't know what to say. So let's try that again. Happy New Year to you too, man. Happy New Year, man. How was your uh, New Year's celebration? And are you happy to leave 2016 behind, or are you actually kind of sad? Um... I wouldn't say I'm happy to leave it behind, but I'm definitely excited for 2017. Yeah, man. But uh, as far as my New Year's, it was a lot of fun. I hung out with my cousins, actually, and we ate a lot of food, uh, had some adult beverages, and played a lot of poker. Uh, One of my cousins was having such a good time. She stepped in uh, one of our family friends' like dog food bowl. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was like, hey, you should go outside and get some fresh air. It's like 50 degrees outside. And then this particular cousin was like, okay. 
and then she stepped in, or he or she stepped in uh, some dog food, and that was the highlight of the night. Sweet. For me, I just hung out with some friends, had a house party, rang in the new year, watched a movie beforehand, watched Why Him with uh, James Franco being James Franco. But yeah, you know, 2017, the, the start of a new year always brings with it endless possibilities, you know, the hope of a fresh new start, yada yada. And I think Lakers fans and the Lakers in general needed it. And even though we got a loss to start the year off, I think we saw enough promising signs to take us forth moving forward. And yeah, you know, hopefully 2017 is going to be a more lit, a more trill year. <laughs> I just want to make it clear that I actually know what trill means. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what it actually means, but obviously <laughs> I looked it up on Urban Dictionary and apparently it just means like to be true and real, you know, so just keeping it 100, you know what I mean? So that's what Trill means. We're probably going to misuse it a ton anyways just because we want to. So we're going to use Trill in whatever way we want to. If 2016 was lit, we're going to try and be a little more mature in 2017 and keep it Trill. But that doesn't mean we're not going to keep it lit. We're going to keep both, you know? it's not we're, we're not throwing out one with the other, but... You know what, dude? If if we if we didn't keep it Trill, then things won't be lit. Because, because things are going to be lit, that means that we are keeping it Trill. Exactly. Because if you have litness without Trillness, then it's just fleeting. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be fleeting. That's for sure. We don't want to be fleeting. You want to have the substance behind the quality. You know what I mean? The substance behind... I don't even know what you I'm know saying. We, you know who we sound like right now? <laughs> we sound like Swaggy P. <laughs> We do. It's a new year, man. What can you do? We're just like it makes it, it makes so much sense, but at the same time, it doesn't make any sense at all. And because it doesn't make sense, like that actually exactly. So yeah, with that said, personally for me, I'm happy to see 2016 leave us. There's a bunch of crap that happened, lots of random highs and lows, but you know we're moving forward here, looking to the future. And as far as the Lakers are concerned, I thought they looked really good last night. And for the whole rest of this podcast, we're just going to be talking about Brandon Ingram's dunk. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Before we get to that, though, please follow us on Twitter, at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes. The more you rate and review us on iTunes, that's how many times the Lakers this year will actually have a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, as opposed to the first or second quarter, and then that double-digit lead dissipates, and then we go down by double digits. So the more you rate interview us, that's how many times in this new year the Lakers will actually build on a lead in the fourth quarter and have it at double digits, and hopefully that'll lead to more wins. So with that being said... Today, we're just going to recap the game that we were at in person, the Raptors-Lakers game last night, and then also do some mailbag questions that are actually pretty pertinent to what the, I guess, what Lakers Nation is feeling right now and what the Lakers are going through. So what did you think about the game last night, Alan? I mean, we were there. Uh, I thought it was a fun experience. I I I called it a quote-unquote good loss because, like I said, we saw flashes of very good things from D'Angelo Russell finally getting back into a groove, 28 points, five assists, four rebounds, zero turnovers, which is amazing. I think this was his first zero turnover game of the season. He had one steal, hit six of 12 from three, 14 points came in the fourth quarter, but he also had a pretty good first half. He had like nine points, three assists. Brandon Ingram obviously had that magnificent dunk over Jonas Valanciunas and did a lot of other things really well, including playmaking, six points, two assists, zero turnovers, three rebounds. Uh, Swaggy P, Uncle P, had 
an amazing game, 26 points, 7 of 9 from 3. So there were just a lot of really good flashes from some of our guys. It wasn't a whole collective good game, but I think we saw enough, we had enough fun that I came out of it very encouraged, especially considering that we're playing the Toronto Raptors, who are actually number one in the offensively in the NBA above Golden State Warriors, if you could believe that or not. So given the context, given the Toronto Raptors were coming in with a two-game losing streak, given the Lakers had been struggling, especially D'Angelo Russell, I was very encouraged by last night's game. What about you? Same. Um, after leaving it, I didn't have that like depressed feeling <laughs> that we've had after the last uh, month full of games. I think, uh, you know, I told you yesterday, this is the first game I felt good about since you and I went to Chicago on November yeah. 30th and saw them out there. Uh, sure, we beat the Clippers on Christmas Day, but even that one, like, no Blake Griffin, no Chris Paul, no J.J. Redick. It, it didn't feel as good as yesterday, and I think it's just because, like you said, there were so many flashes uh, last night. D'Angelo, no turnovers, and started to... Uh, get things going, shot 50% from the field, 50% from three as well. Um, and then, obviously, Brandon Ingram. Yeah, obviously, the dunk was ridiculous, but overall, he was so aggressive yesterday. Um, <clears throat> you could tell he's getting more and more comfortable as a playmaker. His moves are very decisive. He, he doesn't do that thing where he backs out to, like, 35 feet away from the basket as much and kind of you know, pounds the ball for five seconds and waits for something to happen. He's kind of taking things into his hands a little bit more, which which is great. He's just looking more comfortable. You know, right there in terms of Brandon Ingram, something that Luke has admitted that they've been trying to work on with him is that instead of, like you said, pounding the ball at, at the perimeter, Luke has said in the last week or so that he's trying to get Ingram to attack the closeouts mm. more. So when he feels the defense coming in, instead of shying away or like backing out his dribble, to actually attack it. Oh. And I think recently we've seen that happen a lot more, especially, so this is where we're going to talk about the dunk, right? Especially when, you know, DeMar DeRozan was kind of hedging him hard. And then Ingram did that crazy no-look kind of crossover right into the lane, right into the paint, and then just extended his long-ass Inspector Gadget arms right <laughs> over Valanciunas and then slammed it in so let's talk about that dunk let's talk about <laughs> oh my god i wish i wish everyone was there with us in that moment dude uh, okay honestly last night's game I and mean, we had a suite to ourselves we were in a17 we didn't did, did you guys drink beforehand no <laughs> no right but but i mean okay the staples center crowd was honestly as lit as it could be and they gave out these really nice um not really <laughs> They were amazing. <laughs> they were amazing. So they were these Lakers purple. They looked like those sports band bracelets or whatever. Yeah, like a light up LED bracelet. Yeah, it was purple. Yeah, so you turn it on and it was like a purple light and it was literally lit. And uh, <laughs> I think the whole rest of the game kind of followed that flow and trajectory because it was loud in there. Yeah. We were loud. Like we were getting up and down. If you want to see the video that I personally, I'm so glad I caught that moment, by the way, because usually when you're trying to take video, you usually get a missed shot or like not a very exciting play. But I just happened to have, I just happened to be recording at that exact moment with Brandon Ingram throwing down the dunk, all of us going nuts. Tommy, without knowing that I was filming, was like pounding, pounding his chest like King Kong and was going like, ah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so if you guys want to see that amazing moment, that Kodak moment, look, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. It's on my timeline there somewhere. It's the video of actual Brandon Ingram posterizing Jonas Valanciunas and Tommy going nuts and us getting lit. <laughs> so yeah what did you think about the atmosphere of the game and anything you saw in the game in particular i thought the atmosphere was great usually when you're sitting in a suite it isn't very loud it's pretty subdued but it was extremely loud last night and i mean our group in particular supplied so much of that energy there were like five people right. sitting in front of us and uh i don't know they they seemed like they knew uh what was going on in the game you know but they're very quiet and they probably thought we were a bunch of psychos, but that's okay. <laughs> they were not keep. They were not keeping it trill. No, right? you know not I mean? at all. Not trill. Too cool for school. Yeah. Yep. But um, after Ingram's dunk, dude, we we did buy some some adult beverages at uh, at halftime. Just a couple beers, and um, I jumped up, and Victor was like hugging me. We were jumping up and down. I thought I was going <laughs> to spill all over myself. Thank goodness I didn't. But that's how crazy it got. It was definitely lit. It was kind of like um, that Larry Nance dunk, yeah. In where once that once that play happened, you you kind of forget about the next five minutes of gameplay, and you're just thinking about that yeah, dunk. Yeah. And that's exactly where my head was. I was like, "Oh my god, what did he just do? We've never <laughs> seen him. We've never seen him be so aggressive. And usually, you know, when he drives into the lane, he gets contact and he's mm-hmm. gone. You know, the ball flails and fifty feet into the air. He's flailing in opposite direction. Instead, it was like. Oh my God! He just threw it down. He extended his arm. He looked like a pterodactyl. <laughs> you know, we 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 saw video of the other angles of that play, and it's crazy how far back he mm. cocked it to avoid contact, and he just threw it down very cleanly. So yeah, Staples Center in general was going nuts, and like couldn't hear anything. It was super loud. Dissecting that play, obviously the most impressive part was that he did a crossover from the three three point line, almost like the Larry Nance dunk. And I just love to see that aggression from Brandon. Ingram, you know, later we saw the bench's reaction to that dunk with D'Angelo Russell going, okay, okay, young fella, okay. <laughs> so yeah, do you have anything else to say about the dunk and how it made you feel, what it made you think about Brandon Ingram moving forward? It, it made me think that 2017 is going to be a great year. The fact, the fact that that happened um, on, the, on the first day of the new year, uh, but in all seriousness, I feel like even when he was at Duke, you wouldn't see him do things like that. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's because the competition's different. Him getting the basket in college was just a lot easier, so you're not going to get as many posters. But that's just something completely different we haven't seen from him uh, in his career. Um, so, yeah, I think for him it's just a mindset. So it, it, he's capable of doing that, and um, he's only going to get bigger and stronger from here, and that's something that I get, we can look forward to seeing uh, in the future. And can you let everybody know the random new nickname we came up with him? Flashes, flashes. Because <laughs> because we're 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 keeping it trill, you know. And uh... if we're keeping it trill, we're assessing Brandon Ingram very accurately in terms of knowing that we're just going to see flashes from him here and there, and his statistical output is not going to be indicative of who he is going to be as a player as a whole, even by the end of this year, you know? And I think everybody, for the most part, has kept it trill in that respect, even Lakers Nation in general, yeah. you know? They see the eight points, they see the 38% shooting, you know, the 30% shooting from three, and realize this is not who Brandon Ingram's going to be, and moments like last night, moments like the playmaking he showed where he drove it into the lane and did a scoop layup, or scoop wraparound layup to Thomas Robinson moments like when he's in transition he had another transition bucket where he just took it all the way coast to coast and laid it in moments like that flashes like that 
you just see that like this kid who's only 19 who should still be like in his sophomore year in college maybe even freshman year is already doing some very advanced very skilled things right now and we should be very encouraged by that so flashes it's not going to stick i know that but at least for our group we were yelling flashes (laughs) flashes when that dunk happened and for some reason i don't know why but i kept calling him flashes o'houlihan because what because in dodgeball there's that guy named patches o'houlihan he's like the coach oh okay yeah yeah yeah. patches whenever i heard flashes i was like it rhymes so flashes (laughs) o'houlihan It rolls off the tongue. Exactly. So really random stuff. Flash's Ingram came out in full force. It was fun, man. And D'Angelo Russell obviously provided the fireworks in the fourth quarter with his three-point shooting. He hit four of his threes in that fourth quarter. Swaggy P was helping him out as well. Honestly, like, those guys are so much fun to watch when they get hot and when they get Mm. going. Especially, obviously, you see that on TV, but in person live... Oh my gosh, like the you feel ed- it. You feel it. You just feel it after like that first three. You know, like the whole vibe changes, the energy's there and like they start playing defensively a lot more aggressively. Right. And that's when you know, all right, these guys, they got it tonight and they're about to heat up. Yeah, and it's crazy because these two particular guys, as you know, they just see the ball go into the basket. And it's not like one thing where you hit, see them hit a three and then the next play down, you you know, they miss one. These guys literally will hit threes in bunches and it's very electric and the crowd just feeds off of it. And last night was a a very fun game. You know, the Lakers had a 12 point lead in the second quarter and all of us were looking at each other and saying, all right, when is this going to die down? And of course it died down by the end of the first half. And then from there, the Raptors kind of took control at the end of the third, midway through the third. And it was kind of history from there. But I think the most impressive part about the game was that, you know, the Lakers were down by like 17 points, like midway through the fourth quarter. Right. And they should have just laid down and died. But one thing the team has consistently done for the most part this year is they never give up. And, you know, led by Randall and his energy and his defense in the last half of the fourth quarter, you know, he had a couple steals, had that breakaway dunk, Mm. kind of led by his energy. D'Angelo Russell followed suit by hitting a bunch of threes. Nick Young hit a three or two. Uh, They played scrappier on defense, more active. The Lakers fought themselves back into the game, and it was like five points, you know, within the next two minutes. So I was very encouraged by the way the Lakers fought back. Obviously, they're still working through growing pains of trying to maintain leads, trying to actually build a lead in the fourth quarter, which I don't think they've ever done. So, But overall, it was an encouraging game. What did you think about the board bros lineup of Tarek Black and (laughs) Thomas Robinson, who were very effective, at least in the first stint that they had in the first half? And then it's kind of a mixed bag in the second half. But given that we don't have Larry Nance uh, or any other bigs to actually use, what did you think of that mishmash super rebounding duo? So you know how you have like the Splash Brothers? Yeah. So I came up with the Crash Brothers. Ooh, I like Crash Brothers better, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they're crashing the glass. I mean, Thomas Robinson and Tark Black almost both had double doubles. Uh, Thomas Robinson ended up having 12 and 9, and Tark had 9 and 9. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty sick. And his limited minutes, too. Tark had 14 minutes, and Thomas Robinson only had 17, although it kind of felt like more than that in the second half. Uh, but I, I love their energy. Thomas Robinson just keeps showing little tidbits to his game you wouldn't expect. He mm-hmm. can put the ball on the floor, which is so valuable. Often he'll get kind of like those long offensive rebounds after three-pointers. And he's good at kicking it back out, but he is also really good at recognizing if he has like a, a good matchup and he can take the guy to the hole, get some contact. 
Um, that's a pretty underrated part of his game. I know a lot of people trash Thomas Robinson on Twitter saying, oh, he's not good at anything related to basketball. I don't know what they're watching because mm-hmm. I think he's pretty decent. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Tarek, I mean, first time playing in how many weeks? Um, I mean, obviously only 14 minutes because he probably just needs to get back in condition, but he picked up right where he left off in terms of crashing the glass as well. So I did like that uh, in the first half. And then, yeah, second half is kind of like, you're going back to the well, you know, too many times expecting it to continue to work. But, I mean, we're, we're limited at this point. What are we going to do? Mozgov only played 21 minutes. Um, he only had three fouls. He was not really – he had those three fouls in the first half, actually. Mm-hmm. He closed the half with three. And, um, you know, I guess uh, when you're playing against Toronto, who's very athletic and gets up and down the floor, Mozgov is not great. It's going to expose that aspect of your defense. So yep. they did the best they could. and. I think the coaching staff is just going to try to tinker with the rotations as much as they can. But otherwise, this is what it's going to be until Nance gets healthy. Yep, for sure. And, you know, they, they did pretty well to start with. You know, Thomas Robinson, like you said, can is very kind of sometimes crafty, sneakily crafty yeah. in the lane, can take guys off the dribble from about the free throw line extended, has a couple shaky crossover moves and whatnot. Yeah, he's surprisingly... You finish with both hands? Yeah, very agile, yeah. Yeah, him and Tarek Black both in nine boards. Uh, For me, you know, I I know a lot of people were excited by that duo, and, and, you know, they played very, very well. But for me, I think... I don't think it's going to be sustainable, Mm -hmm. just because you look at these... Both of these guys are, what, 6'9", 6'10", and you could see even in the first half when they got the boards... The times that they try and try and put a shot back up, it usually was like a flailing shot because they're so small and it, yeah. the ball would kind of fly into the air and they couldn't finish. Um, their best bet was to pitch it back out to a three-point shooter, right? Or pitch it back out to the perimeter. And in the second half where it really hurt us, that unit was defensively, you know, because these guys, like you said in, last night in the game, they're good at defending man, man-to-man defense, you know, their own man. But with regards to actually rim protecting and helping guys out and when the defense breaks down... These yeah. guys can't protect the paint. You know what I mean? It's That's where you get all of those uh, backdoor cuts from guys for open dunks that Toronto had. Um, that's where you get just bully ball down low because they, they don't have the girth and the strength to really contain the paint. And so that's where we got hurt the most when Luke had those two guys out there towards the end of the third into the fourth. I don't think the Crash Brothers thing is going to last too long. You know, I think it was kind of like a gimmick kind of thing. The, the first time you put it out there, it kind of works. You know, yeah. I'll reserve judgment if it works again the next few games. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a good thing to just have that energy despite the fact that you can't space the floor or whatnot. Because... What Thomas Robinson lacks in spacing the floor, he kind of makes up for in the, his ability to drive the ball, you know, so that kind of mm-hmm. helps the spacing. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how that shakes itself out until Nance gets better in the next three weeks or so. I think it's clear as the tread, di- tread deadline approaches that the Lakers are going to need some help in the form of a longer, taller, more elite rim-protecting big man who can also laterally move the floor. I just pretty much mentioned like an all-star because <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's a like very <laughs> it's a very rare thing to find but hopefully the Lakers can find it you know what I mean Donatus Manehunas checks off a couple of those boxes yeah he spaces the floor and he's pretty he's a pretty big dude in the paint unfortunately I believe he's about to sign or has signed with the Pelicans so there we go um the Lakers are gonna have to think about some stuff but to close this game out the other thing I wanted to talk about was you know, Jordan Clarkson only had 17 mm. minutes. Uh, I won't say much about this. He only had two points, 
one for five from the field. You know, Lou Will had an off night as well. Only had 17 minutes, eight points, one assist. I was actually glad, you know, we were complaining about D'Angelo Russell not getting enough minutes. And finally, Luke Walton brought him in earlier in the fourth quarter, where usually he'll take him out at the four-minute mark of the third and then not yeah. bring him back till like, the four-minute mark of the fourth, yeah, right? Yeah. This time, he brought him back in the eight-minute mark, and yep. that was the entire difference. And I think he, I think he heard us because we were clamoring for D'Angelo to start the fourth quarter at about 10 minutes. And then about 90 seconds later, eight and a half left in the game, then he brought D'Angelo in. So that, that was good to see. And our rationale is like, the dude's 20 years old, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need to rest that long in the fourth quarter. Just once you've given him five minutes of rest in the third, that's when you just bring him out and let him yeah. play the entire fourth. You know, they keep saying, like, they want him to be aggressive in the fourth, right? Well, the problem with bringing him in at the five-minute mark is he's going to be tentative. He's going to be cold. He's not yeah. going to be sure about he's what he wants to do. feel the game again. Exactly. And with four minutes left, if you're feeling the game for a minute and a half, well, too bad, you know? So, yeah, perfect. Eight-minute mark. That's the perfect place yeah. to insert him and get him into a groove. And you saw. Had 14 points, hit four threes, and got into a flow of things. But, you know, my main – the other topic I wanted to address about this game was I think it's clear that Luke is having trouble – managing the minutes and distributing the minutes between his guard rotation mm. in terms of D'Angelo Russell, Nick Young, Jordan Clarkson, Lou Williams, because all these guys like on paper at the very least deserve to at least have 28 to 30 minutes. Right. But yeah, in terms of on court play, it's just not physically possible to do that. So even though Jordan Clarkson had a crappy game, two points, one for five, he only had 17 minutes and I can't really mm. blame him for not being able to get into a flow. And I think a lot of what ails him this season is also, him trying to adjust to coming off the bench and also not being sure about how many minutes he's getting um, from one night to another. Obviously, it's not as bad as a Byron Scott kind of thing, but I can see if I were in his position, because and I'm not like Lou Williams where I'm a, I'm a dynamic scorer who can shoot threes and get free throws, where I would have a very up and down kind of season because you know I don't know if one night I'm getting 25 or the next night I'm getting 20 you know and Mm -hmm. D'Angelo has been plagued by the same issue right because just before this game we're like why isn't this guy getting more minutes so for Luke Walton I empathize with him because I'm like I wouldn't know how to juggle these guys minutes because all of them can play really well all of them can explode I have to give Nick Young minutes uh Lou Will's been amazing how do I develop these guys properly and give D'Angelo 30 minutes a night how do I give Jordan Clarkson and so my takeaway from this is one of them's got to go. <laughs> One of them's got to go, and we need to consolidate talent because we have bigger needs on this team, right? Whether that be yeah. more defense, a better pure shooting 3 and D type wing, a better, more agile rim protector. And all of our guards are talented. They have value, and Mitch is going to have a f- to find a way to consolidate that. So I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess one other way to just squeeze in some more minutes here and there is if you move Nick Young to the 3. Yeah, you know, and then you insert whoever is playing well that day, whether it's Jordan or Lou at the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that pushes Ingram out. Yeah, you know, like then he, I mean he's playing three, and then you need Randall in there. So yeah, it, it's it is tough. Um, oh man, because any given night, like Lou Williams will give him a pass. Like he's been playing phenomenally well, so he's allowed to have a three for eleven night and. Um, kind of worked out and he's the type of guy where even in 17 minutes, he could be extremely productive, right? You don't have to worry about him getting in rhythm, feeling out the game and building his confidence or anything like that. But Jordan for sure needs minutes. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, that's a tough balancing act for sure. And it's tough to ask of Jordan Clarkson to be as efficient and effective uh-uh. in 25 minutes as Lou Will has, who's been yeah. a perennial six-man guy for like much of his career. And Jordan Clarkson, this is just his third year, you know, and he's like, I need minutes to still improve and get into a flow of things. And even with that said, he's averaging 14 points off the bench, which is like fifth in the league from the mm-hmm. bench, you know. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing to see come trade deadline, whether Mitch is able to consolidate some of this talent. And in our mailbag section, we'll expound further upon that. But yeah, we have talent here. We saw flashes last night of some really good stuff, mainly D'Angelo getting back into a groove of things with his shot. And we also saw him finally drive it into the paint more. We were like, just do that, dude. There's so many times where he'd get a mismatch on a big, and instead of driving it into the paint, he would take a three and i was like why you know like Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. where you beat him with your speed and like your craftiness and he finally got the memo i think in the second half when he just drove it into the lane had a couple flip shots in the paint had a mid-range jump shot to go so i just want to see him do more of that it's great that his three-point shot was going but i think the more he makes it intentional to take it into the mid-range take it all the way to the basket because whether or not he makes the shot or not, he was getting foul calls as right. well. Like it's just going to open up the game so much for him, open yeah. up the game for everybody else. Yeah. Cause then you're less predictable. The defense thinks, Oh shoot, he might try to get in no man's land, you mm-hmm. know? And like you said, he did it a couple times last night where he was around the elbow 14 to 16 feet. And that's where he shoots his lowest percentage on the season. It's like barely above 30%. It might even be a little under that. And yesterday he made a couple shots from mm-hmm. there. So it was good to see that. And, like you said, it's all about intentionality, and uh, I think being in the moment, you know, being present in that game, and being able to let things slow down in your mind a little bit. So, uh, again, he, how long has he even been back since his injury? You know, I think he's starting to get back in the swing of things. Um, so, hopefully, over the next week or two, we'll, we'll see some more consistent play from him. Yeah, and last thing on D'Angelo, you know, I know he's been getting a lot of flack from fans from like the Utah Airball to. All of this stuff, inconsistency. (laughs) But last night, honestly, that fourth quarter, I know those performances have been few and far between, but that is the type of player he's capable of being. And by type of player, I mean someone who can shift the entire dynamic of the game by himself. And not only from a scoring standpoint, but he was throwing some nifty ass passes to people as well. Playmaking wise, just putting pressure on the defense because he can pass, he can shoot, he can drive it into the mid range. Hopefully he can start to drive it all the way, but but he gets foul calls as well. So he was so dynamic in that fourth quarter and he was doing everything correctly. He didn't turn the ball over once. Just to have that type of player, there's not one other player outside of maybe Lou Will, who's a 10 year veteran, who I feel could do that in so many levels, affect the game on so many levels offensively, you know? So we saw it in full force last night from D'Angelo, and hopefully he can be more consistent and not rely on his three-point shot because I know for him it's like he relies so much on him hitting that first few threes or so to get him going, and hopefully he can just, like, feed off of something else and have be more internally motivated and not have it rely so much on just the three-point shot, you know, uh, to yeah. get him fully going. But I think last night we saw, and we've seen it in flashes, like, throughout the years, that... D'Angelo Russell can change the game all by himself, and there's not a lot of guys on our team who can do that, if at all. So, Um, You know, Julius Randle had an up-and-down game. He only shot 3 for 10, 15 points, 9 rebounds. Did have 6 assists, which was nice, 2 turnovers. Had some good defensive stats. Obviously, those came in the 4th quarter. 3 steals, 2 blocks. 
Offensively, he's uh, still working through the kinks of driving it in and just chucking up a very bad no touch. Julius y things. Julius y things, exactly. <laughs> I will say, obviously, in the fourth quarter, his energy was there, but it sucks when we have to play him at center. And I know I Luke does this, right? Because it helps with our speed. On the offensive end, it's a mismatch, but on the defensive end, like, this is what sucks without having. This is what sucks not having a guy like Nerlens Noel or like a big that can move laterally, right? Because if we're playing small, we're going to have to put Julius at center and defensively, like, we just get killed mm-hmm. whenever he's there at center. So we will just have to see. Tread de- deadline's coming up in February. We've got a lot of work to do as a team, a lot of work to do as a front office. And yeah, you know, we'll see. But overall, it was a fun night. It was trill. It was lit. It was good to be with the Lakers Legacy podcast fam and our Facebook group message thread. Um, did you mention that we did a, what we did at the end to our suite? Oh, so apparently the suites at Staples Center got renovated. And I actually read about this a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, that's cool. I, I know they do it every several years at uh, like the top sports arenas. And so so the big addition to our suite was a, a marble table. <laughs> and uh, we wanted to enhance that marble table's uses. So we got some some plastic cups, which were provided by the suite. And we set up a good old game of tap water pong. Tap which, water pong. And uh, unfortunately, there were no ping pong balls provided, so we used crumpled up receipts. And Victor oh, and I he's... shot. Victor and I shot for who went first. I gotta say, Victor missed horribly. He bricked the crap out of that piece of paper. I made my first shot, so I nice. guess I won the inaugural tap water pong game in Staples Center. Boom! <laughs> roasted. Keeping it trill. Keeping it trill with tap water pong at Staples Center Suites. And if you want to see that video, I actually posted on our Twitter account as well. And you can hear me in the back going, so stupid. So stupid. <laughs> but we were so lit, dude. No, it was fun, man. That's uh, yeah. It was such like a frat boy thing to do, but... Uh... That's how we do it. And it's you, funny because you said, like, enhance the marble table. I'd say more defaced the marble table. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, so it was good. Uh, encouraging first game, even though it was a loss. And we can only – you know, the Lakers have actually looked pretty well the last week, you know. The Dallas game sucked. We Every time we play Dallas, we look like we just deflate. But the first half of that Dallas game was amazing. D'Angelo had a great first half. The Utah game, obviously, we were competitive throughout the end. The Clippers game, we won. I think we've we've been playing – significantly better since Julius Randle came back, since D'Angelo Russell's gotten a little more healthy, since Swaggy P's come back, right? It's mm-hmm. just about finally putting it together and then treading water until Larry Nance comes. And with all this being said, the Lakers are 12-25. and 25. They've played the most games in the NBA. They have the most losses, but they're only four games out of the eighth seed, you know? Not to say yeah. that we're thinking about that, but the fact that they're four games out is ridiculous. Yep. So... All we want to see is improvement, and we'll move on from there. We're going to switch it to some mailbag questions that you guys provided, and we'll close our show out at that point. So catch us on the turn with some Telegraph Passes. A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Everybody get up! Everybody get up! Everybody needs to understand that I'm more than simply a hype man for this rap group. Just like Geico is more than just a company that can save you money. 
Geico also has fast and friendly claim service so they can help you when you need it most. And while I do love being a hype man, I also love reading for children's audiobooks. Like Little Bo Peep, she lost the sheep and she don't know where to find them. Yo, Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Uh, I realized that when I was born, my arm would tingle. It would just tingle all the time. And I asked my mom what it was. So I got an x-ray and it was just ice there. But, um, I don't know. I don't know. All right, so we've got some mailbag questions that you guys provided in our Telegraph Pass segment, and we'll just get right to it. So this kind of goes in line with uh, what we've been talking about, and this actually comes from our friend Daniel Che, who's been on the podcast before. Shout out to D-Che. So Daniel Che asks, at Daniel Che, D-A-N-I-E-L-C-H-A-E. If you want to catch him on our podcast, he's on the amazing band Run River North. He was on our podcast episode 91, I believe, How the Westbrook Was Won. Catch that episode because it's a lot of fun. But anyways, D-Che asks, would you rather, one, trade stud Lou Will now for maybe two shots in a loaded draft? So two shots meaning we would probably get a lotto pick or fringe lotto pick for Lou Will, plus we'd have our own pick or shoot for playoff experience. He sent that back on December 19th, so obviously playoffs are a long shot at this point, and even if we were contending, I think Lou has provided enough value and enough leadership in the first half of the season to our young guys and put us in enough situations to be in clutch positions that at this point we have to extract value from this guy because he could be gone in a year and... He's at his peak value, in my opinion. And if we can get a, you know, one of the guys we've been talking about, like John Henson, you know, a high upside guy, even someone like Jody Meeks plus Orlando's lottery pick or whatever they end up, because assuming Lou Will goes to that team, he'd make them better. So maybe they'd contend for an eighth seed, but probably would be just short of that. So I think they'd have like the 14th, 15th pick. I would take Jody Meeks and the 14th, 15th pick, you know what I mean? To just have... Another shooter, pure shooter like Jody Meeks, who's familiar with the Lakers family, but also get another shot at maybe drafting another high upside young potential dude in this stacked draft class and address another need we have. So I would totally eschew playoff experience at this point because that's not even a realistic possibility. What about you, Alan? Yeah, I agree. Um, There are so many playoff teams that could use Lou Williams scoring punch. Um, <clears throat> a lot of them are in the East, actually. I, I feel like almost every team could use him <clears throat> below, like Cleveland and I don't know. I mean, even Toronto, like what their bench guys do yesterday. Right. Uh, let's see. I mean, Terrence Ross, yeah, eleven points. He hit. He hit some key threes. Twenty-four minutes. Uh, Norman Powell played very sparingly. I guess Corey Joseph was pretty good, but yeah, they could definitely use Lou Williams for that, uh, that extra punch. And there are a lot of young guys and we've talked about it before in Toronto, some bigs that we would use. I would, I would take Jakob Pertl. I mean, why not? So yeah, I totally agree that, um, guys on our team have learned (laughs) a lot from Lou. And as far as what we can get out of him, I feel like it's kind of maxed itself out. Mm-hmm. You know, like whatever it's been, I think he can continue to do it consistently. But what you see, what you've seen so far is what we're going to be getting. And like you said, if he is gone after next season, then I mean, that sucks to really lose him for nothing. Um, and I think Lou would obviously like to go to a contender. I mean, this oh, year sure. it started out like it was fun and, you know, there's a lot of hope. And I'm sure he was even thinking playoffs for a minute there. 
But uh, just seeing how things have kind of gone the other way, I don't think he would mind going somewhere else at all. He's been such a professional for us. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think at this point, I don't know if we can actually get a tangible talent back, but for teams that are right on the fringe or contending, I think they would be more than happy and more than willing to give away a draft pick that they probably wouldn't use or they probably don't want to even invest in another young talent that they'd have to find minutes to develop, you know? So in that case, I I can totally see a team giving up a pick from the 13 to 18 range. And at that point, if we can get Lou for that, plus maybe an additional piece to help us out, I think that would be the best case scenario and and be mutually beneficial, like you said, to both parties. So we'll see. So this next question comes from at Randy underscore BDA, and it kind of touches upon some things that we've talked about a little bit. He says, should there be a starting lineup change? Should Luke stagger starters with the bench more? Does the Lou and JC pairing fit? Alan, what do you think about that? Should there be a starting change or a change to the starting lineup? And should the should Luke stagger the starters more? And what have you thought about the Lou, Will, and JC pairing? I mean, the problem is at this point, we only have one two-point guard in D'Angelo. Uh, it'd be a little bit different if Jose Galderon were healthy and could even play 12 to 14 minutes here and there, you know? So mm-hmm. is that ideal, having Lou Williams and Jordan Clarkson out there simultaneously? No, it's not. At the same time, I don't I don't really know how you would shake the starting lineup up. Like, what, right. what would you do differently? You, yeah, I don't know if you can shake the starting lineup up that much outside of, I don't know, you want to put Randall to the bench right now? <laughs> yeah, like, like with regards to our backcourt, there's there's nothing you can do. Yeah. You know, D'Angelo and Nick, they're, they're going to be there. Yeah, and you saw D'Angelo and Nick are the perfect, actually, mm-hmm. starting backcourt because yeah. Nick Young is that perfect safety valve yeah. that yeah. D'Angelo can pitch it to. So I would totally keep them there. And actually, I wouldn't want to move Randall to the bench either because, like we saw, he has six assists last night. One thing he's really good at, as we know, is bringing the ball up the floor and then handing it off and setting a pick. Exactly. That way they can shoot the three. Like, he's so good at that. They utilize it very frequently. And uh, that's where you see a lot of assists coming from, just those little handoffs, like a quarterback to a running back almost. Um, So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's just like there's just a glut there's like a clog um with our guards it's it's not so much a starting unit issue as it is um it's it's weird to say it because our second unit has been has been very good uh mm. statistically speaking but it does get stagnant for sure yeah and so i i don't know if we could i mean the only th- thing i thought about was maybe putting julius randall to the bench allowing luau dang to play more minutes at the four starting mm. at the power forward spot and then maybe moving brandon ingram up to the three or okay here's one thing that might work maybe putting swaggy p at the three bringing yeah. jordan clarkson or lou will to play the two guard spot and then pushing randall to the bench and making dang the four so it oh, would be d'angelo yeah. russell maybe jordan clarkson slash lou williams mm. nick young Luau Dang and then Mozgov, right? That could be an yeah. interesting lineup and one that could potentially work. But like you said, I like Randall being in there in the starting lineup to actually, when D'Angelo Russell has no idea what he's doing and he's kind of iffy with regards to his playmaking, Randall kind of relieves the pressure because he's a playmaker as well. And I guess the problem with putting Brandon Ingram in the starting lineup is Luke likes to give him those minutes and possessions where he has the ball in his hands mm-hmm. to kind of play point forward. And with D'Angelo Russell there, he would almost just be a spot-up shooter again. So 
so yeah, I don't think a starting lineup should happen. I do think Luke needs to do a better job of staggering the minutes. And with regards to the Lou and JC pairing, I would like to see Jordan Clarkson and D'Angelo play a little bit more together because realistically that's going to be mm-hmm. our future. You know, yeah, like right. that has to happen more so more often than it's not. And I think that just goes back to they need to find out what to do with one of these guys. And the most likely scenario is finding a trade partner for Lou Will. And that's not to say that we want to see him go. It's just... He's not going to be part of our future. Right now, we see that it's giving us a minute crunch here and making it hard on Luke to find adequate minutes for all these guys while he's developing them as well. So a trade has to happen. And um, one of the one of our next questions actually touches upon this. It's from at Pete Rock 83 at Pete Roc83. He says, we need to find some scrappy guards and get rid of Marcelo and, and MWP. How can we make it happen? I don't know if we need more guards per se, but I know that we do, like we've been harping upon. We do need to find a trade partner for Lou Will. You know, Nick Young is in an interesting situation because he's definitely probably going to opt out at this point. He only has $5 million coming in for the 2017 year. And at this point, I think he can totally get way more money on the open market, even if it's like three more million, you know. So he's probably going to opt out. So at that point, you're like, can you trade him? But what teams would want him you know because they know if you trade for him is he going to be is his head going to be in the right place you know I guess a team like the Cavaliers could really use him because J.R. Smith is out for the next 12 weeks so he would be the perfect replacement right Mm. and he'd probably be motivated to try and win a championship right so that would be a potential possibility it's just about what teams want in return with regards to finding scrappy guards I think the number one point of need is just another big, like another yeah. guy who can protect the rim and run the floor and, and defend the pick and roll. And another 3 and D defender, whether that comes in the form of a scrappy guard like Pete is saying or another wing who can also shoot the ball. Like Iman Shumpert would be pretty amazing, I think, as a 3 and D mm-hmm. guy. You know, But Cavs need him right now because J.R. Smith's um, out. But yeah. yeah, what do you think about that? And I, I, with regards to getting rid of Marcelo and MWP, I mean, you just <laughs> have what? to cut. Yeah, no, for what? Just, if they cut him, I'm fine with that, but I don't sure. think they're going to cut them at this point. So, nah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I don't know what you do with those two guys uh, who are riding the bench, but in terms of what our needs are, for me, number one, it, it has been a backup big. And we touched upon that earlier. You can just see every game, it, it kills us, and every other team is exploiting it. Um, as great as the Crash brothers were, they had a difficult time uh, controlling the boards late in the game and being strong rim protectors. So, But the problem with that is backup bigs are not a dime a dozen. You know, you can't yeah. find those guys very easily. So uh, it, it's definitely easier said than done. Uh, I mean, I think after the All-Star break, we're going to see some more Zubots. Um, just there's going to come a point where it's like, you know, things have gone so far <laughs> and he's probably going to develop at least another 20, 30% as far as his game and adjustment to the speed of everything that you just got to, just got to go for it. For sure. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all we have to say about that topic. The Lakers need to make some moves. Clearly they need to find out how to consolidate some talents to address more of their glaring needs. And we'll just have to see. Um, I guess this is a good way to close the show out with some, uh, with uh, this question. Um, it comes from Casey Keel. He asks us, so I'd imagine you guys are seeing the casual Laker fans fall off the wagon thanks to increasing losses. 
and thanks to the team not appearing as competitive as the early season wins initially made us think they would be. How do you guys stay interested? What are you guys looking for? And what sort of mindset are you taking into watching these games that we're pretty likely to lose? As a fan that doesn't know a lot about the mechanics of basketball, I'd love the Lakers Legacy Podcast guide to watching Laker games that probably probably aren't going to go well. So Alan, last night was a perfect example of what he's talking about, right? Because coming into the game, we knew that we were playing the highly rated top East Coast team in the Toronto Raptors, and we likely knew that the outcome was going to be a loss. So in your mindset, to answer Casey Keel's question, how, how do you go about staying interested and especially moving forward with the rest of the season, knowing that we're likely not going to be a playoff team? I just want to see the team start to gel because it's like Kobe used to say it all the time. These guys can work on their individual games all they want, but if they don't know each other's tendencies and they don't know what to expect in mm-hmm. any given scenario from each other, it's all pointless, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> I just want to see their chemistry develop where they just know what each other is going to do without even having to say anything. We're seeing it a little bit here and there, which is very promising. So yeah, as much as we like seeing flashes of Brandon Ingram dunking and D'Angelo getting hot, I mean, those things are great, of course, but I want to see them just start to gel as a team, you know, our young guys. And um if I can see a little bit of that every single game, I'm going to be happy whether we whether we win or lose. Um, as far as other things, on the defensive end, <laughs> for sure, right. uh, I think D'Angelo played pretty good defense yesterday. He seemed engaged right from the beginning, and our buddy Pete at uh, Laker Film Room has said multiple times, you know, I, I know when D'Angelo is going to have a good game within the first two minutes because he looks engaged mm-hmm. and enthusiastic on defense. And I nudged Tommy yesterday at about the 10-minute mark in the first quarter. I was like, hey, he looks pretty locked in right now on D. Now, some people are going to laugh and be like, dude, Kyle Lowry had like 41 points. What are you talking about? And he had that crazy blow-by on him in the the last minute or so, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, like, Kyle Lowry is a freaking Eastern Conference all-star starter. So what do you expect? Um, But D'Angelo... Again, yeah, I was I was happy to see that yesterday, even though we lost and it didn't go 100% of the way. Um, and then Julius Randle, when he has these games, it was really cool, actually. Uh, ESPN Los Angeles posted a bit of a Luke Walton interview, and they're talking basically about how he pushes players' buttons as the season has gone on and how he's gone to know his players and things like that. And he said he kind of got on Julius and... Um, yeah, he basically got mad at him a little while back because he wanted to see how he'd respond. Mm-hmm. And Julius, he he didn't really respond very well. And then he did it again recently. Like, he really laid into him, I guess. It was, it was very stern. And then Julius came out with that, like, 25, 28-point performance the other night. Mm. And um, that's just Luke trying to feel his way around the team. I mean, he's only known them you know, for, like, a little over half a year now. So... <clears throat> That's what I'm really looking forward to as well, uh, is seeing the players and, the, and Luke develop their relationship. And I think you're going to see tangible results uh, on the court. Yeah, for sure. And I agree. Like, I think uh, with regards to looking at these Laker games, it's all about process over results, right? Trust the process. Trill the progress. <laughs> 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 Hashtag trill the progress. But it's about looking at these players on individual levels. Like, if you want, if this helps you guys, like... Have your 
own mental report cards and assessments for these individual players and like have these check these boxes that you want them to tick off and as you watch the game see how they're progressing in those different areas and elements because that's what we do just unintentionally and subconsciously as we watch these games is d'angelo russell driving into the paint more this game is he not settling for three is he trying to bring bring back the mid-range game is he not turning the ball over, making better decisions? And then for Jordan Clarkson, is he shooting three ball better? Is he playmaking and finding his other teammates better? Julius Randle, you know, have all these individual assessments for the guys. And as you watch the game, see whether they're doing those things because there's so many things that happen within one game that it's not just an end-all, be-all, oh, the Lakers lost, they look crappy. You can always isolate plays and moments to assess for all these guys and that's what you have to do i know it sounds like super tedious (laughs) yes i know it sounds super tedious but with a developing team it's kind of what you have to do so that when they finally get things clicked together you can look back on these moments and say you know i saw the beginnings of when they started putting things together you kind of just have to compartmentalize things and like really microscopically look at things and look for small improvements, small flashes, almost the way that we assess Brandon Ingram needs to be the way that we assess all these guys because they're all pretty much the same age. You know, they're all second, like first year, second year, third year players. So the way that we give so much allowance to Brandon Ingram in spite of his bad shooting, in spite of his bad percentages, whenever we see him make like a really good pass or like a really good crossover or dunk those are flashes that we should afford everybody else you know i know we have high expectations for d'angelo rusco he was the number two pick but i feel like we've seen enough from this guy to know this guy could potentially be a star if he puts it all together you know maybe not a steph curry james harden type star but right now he's the closest thing we have to it you know on this young core team so and this kind of leads to our last question and it's, it's from casey keel as well With regards to D'Angelo Russell, with all the people that are kind of piling on him, what parts of his game do you think provoke that flip-flopping? And what parts of his game do you guys think that they're missing from D'Angelo Russell? Like, why can't some people see his promise and potential? Alan, what do you have to say about that? I mean, unfortunately, I think people are extra hard on him because of some of the things that happened last year off the court. You know, I I really think they put on some blinders and they're wearing those goggles that um, just cause them to exaggerate their their opinions of him uh but aside from that i also think it's d'angelo's demeanor because he just looks so chill when he's playing um and i'm not saying that he should continue to be that way because sometimes it does look kind of ridiculous like his base isn't set when he shoots a lot of times that you would think he's just in the backyard putting up jumpers like i would do when i was 15 years old you know and uh, there are other times where he does look a little bit more focused But as far as other reasons why people kind of hate on him, I I guess it's also like the turnovers because he Mm -hmm. he sees things that he could do in college, which, you know, he was only in college for one year. Right. So really, (laughs) the majority of his play was AAU and in high school. And he just needs to feel his way as far as what he can realistically do and uh, really pick your spots. Like if you're going to turn it over, trying to make a fantastic play, make sure that only happens like once or twice per game, like play the percentages, you know, and otherwise just make the safe play. Like Luke has been preaching to him. And um, I mean, his turnovers are pretty ugly. (laughs) So that's probably why people aren't giving him a fair shake and being as optimistic. Now, of course we're wearing purple and gold glasses as well. So we are going to be more patient with him than most people are. So, yeah, I think that's why people are, they kind of like to hate on D'Angelo. Yeah. I think for me, it's, 
it's it's the turnovers, it's the lackadaisical play, the spaciness, and then also the cockiness, right? Like you said, a combination of all those things. And then also the tentativeness with which he plays some games where he do, he's not engaged, he's trying to find his teammates, he's not sure whether he should be aggressive or not, and the lack of athleticism, people kind of harp on that a lot. But I feel like people forget too quickly what D'Angelo Russell did last season, and even in the preseason, even summer league. And this year, he has been injured, you know, he has been dealing with a knee injury. But I've seen more than enough, and we followed him in Ohio State, you know, so we've seen him at his most electric, most dynamic, when he has the utmost confidence. And even as a Laker, we've seen when he's got it going, when he, when he has his head in the game, he plays like a superstar, you know what I mean? Will he have tr- bad turnovers? Yeah, but every superstar has that, you know. Obviously, the one thing he can hold his hat to is the elite three-point shooting, right? He's only a second-year player, but he's hitting 2.3 threes a game at 37%. That's and that's on that's on a down year, you know. He hasn't even been that hot. But last year, if anybody remembers, he had a stretch when Byron Scott finally started him and let him loose where he had he was averaging 22 points and 5 assists in 7 out of 8 games. Like, did people forget that how easily he was scoring? You know what I mean? Like, D'Angelo Russell can just put up stats in his sleep. Yeah. And I guess the, that's part of the problem, right? People see mm-hmm. too much of him in his sleep. <laughs> so it's not its not as electric. It's not like a crazy LeBron, Russell, Westbrook-type performance. But you look up at the, sc- the box score, and all of a sudden, oh, shoot, he has 20 points? That's amazing. You didn't even yeah. notice it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think it's also his just his playing style. Like you said, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Um, he isn't the fastest guy, doesn't jump the highest, whatever. He barely dunks. Like He probably had less than 10 dunks all of last season. And uh, when he's shooting the mid-range jumper and things like that, people, their attention isn't drawn to it. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and so I, I think what people are missing is, you know, when we're assessing Julius Randle, we ask, what are what's his go-to move? What are some things that he can't do? Julius Randle can't shoot a jump shot. He can't finish into the paint. He, he's still developing his post moves. There's a lot of things that you can't really check, check the mark off of with Julius Randle. With D'Angelo Russell, there's not one thing outside of being super athletic and dunking that I'm not sure I could say he definitely can't do that. Do you know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If people said, oh, D'Angelo Russell can't shoot a mid-range jump shot, I'd say, yeah, he can. He's just not hitting them for whatever reason this season mm-hmm. or not taking enough of them. But I know if he aggressively tried to do that, he could hit mid-range jump shots all day. D'Angelo Russell can't shoot threes. Uh, he definitely can. We already know that. D'Angelo Russell can't play make. We know he can. He just has to get the boneheaded, flashy plays out of his system, you know? Yeah. And the one thing that he ha- he does have as a point guard slash combo guard that other guys don't have is the post-up game, you know? Because he's big and he's tall. So there's not one thing when people say, like, how, how come you- what do you see in D'Angelo Russell that I don't? And it's he can do pretty much everything you know he's got crafty dribble moves he can take it to the post so he doesn't have elite quickness and speed but he uses his speed to his advantage when he changes his gears you know with his dribbles and he's shown that and that's how he's been able to get into the paint you know he's crafty if people remember steph curry his his first two years in the league or something he wasn't driving it into the paint at all you know no it took this level of him honing his dribbling skills, his shake, and his three-point shot to finally, all of a sudden, do these crafty like reverse layups and spin moves into the paint. So it's going to take some time. So I think that's the reason why I'm so high on D'Angelo Russell, because at the very least, we know he's an elite three-point shooter. Eventually, I can see his mid-range game rounding out and either hitting that mid-range jump shot, pull-up jump shot off the screen, or getting fouled on it. And 
his post-up game. Even even if he never develops like an elite drive game into the paint, those three things alone I think will make him at the very, very least a very good almost all-star player. So I don't know if you had anything else to say. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah, so that's why we have high f- hopes for D'Angelo Russell, even in spite of all the struggles, even in spite of the bad statistical outputs and lackadaisical airiness and bad stats. And the, the stats are actually aren't bad at all. He's averaging 15 points, five assists, and four rebounds in his second year in the league in only 28 minutes, like 26 minutes, actually. So per 36, those are 21 points, seven assists. Those are good numbers, no matter how you shake it. It's just him getting better percentages, taking better shots, getting less turnovers, becoming a better floor floor leader, and also being in the game mentally for 48 minutes and not spacing out. So... I think that's what we hope for in D'Angelo. And for me, I've seen more than enough flashes. Maybe this is because we've watched him since Ohio State to know who he can be. Yeah, so that's where we'll leave it at. Hope everybody has a great rest of their week, their first week of 2017. The Lakers play the Memphis Grizzlies tomorrow. I remember in our next 10-game stretch, we had the Lakers at about 15-23 and 23 at this point, or 16-22. and 22. And unfortunately, I think they're going to be 12 and 25. But once again, like we just talked about, it's going to be about looking at the bright side, looking at the different silver linings, whether the Lakers and the individual players are improving in these small sets of areas that we've set out for them in this new year. So yeah, with that being said, that'll close us out for our show. The USC Rose Bowl game is about to happen, so we're going to jump off and watch that. Hope everybody watched the Rose Parade and had a bunch of great festivities for New Year's, New Year's Eve. And yeah, good luck going back to work, school, yada yada. I know that's depressing, but it's a new year, new you, new year, new me, same team, new dream, whatever, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) keep it trill, keep it lit, and hopefully the Lakers will be on board with hashtag trill the progress this year with that said <laughs> thank you guys for listening follow us on twitter at lakers legacy pod please rate and review us on itunes the more you rate and review us alan what you got the more minutes we're gonna see Vita zubats play in this new year there you go and i, I believe that's gonna come so with that said we'll catch you guys later alan laters peace out everybody <laughs>this is maury moreland morrison here to tell you geico has more than just great savings much more geico has been around for more than 75 years back when they were using morse code sorry that's just my sense of humor what's more with geico you get 24 7 access to licensed agents on the app online or over the phone so you can talk to them at night or in the morning so forevermore just know that no other auto insurer has more more than geico more power to you geico expect great savings and a whole lot more Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.
This is what Flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states.